you're in that big law firm office and you're seeing these older partners that are, you know, in their 60s or 70s. And, you know, they're showing up to the office before I am. They're staying longer than me. And I'm supposed to be kind of like a, a young associate and hungry and should be at the office at all hours and, you know, doing all this work. But I'm looking at them and they're like at the apex of their careers. I mean, they've, they've done it all. They're the partners. They're managing the firm. They're making tons of money, but they're still working just as hard, if not harder than I was. And I started thinking like, if that's, that's the end game, like if that's as good, like if I do everything right, and I'm very successful and I'm bringing business to the firm and I do quality work for decades and I end up like that, I don't know if that's where I want to end up. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. Today, I've got Seth Bradley with me today. Seth, how are you doing? Doing great, John. How are you? I am doing outstanding. So for those folks that don't know, Seth is the host of The Passive Income Attorney. He's a real estate investor, fitness studio owner, along with his wife, attorney, and a terrible surfer. So Seth, what is going on right now, my man? (laughs) Oh, a lot of everything, man. Just trying to survive the pandemic with the gym and getting the real estate business going. And it's just every day is different, which I love. That's right. Keeps it interesting, right? The spice of life. Yep. Yep. Absolutely, man. Well, very cool. So I'm I'm super excited for this conversation because actually Seth and I have a lot of similarities in regards to how we started off. And then also just kind of we've got our hands in a bunch of different things from an investing perspective. So um, so Seth, let's kind of start at the beginning though. I mean, so, you know, how'd you get into to the attorney, the passive income attorney, you know, now that that's kind of your mantra and your podcast, and then also you've invested in all these different avenues. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll skip forward a little bit. So I ended up, I went to law school. I, I tried to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Went to med school for a little bit and then law school. Ended up doing pretty well there and got a really good job out of law school and worked in big firms for about six years. During that whole time, though, I was just thinking I felt a little bit out of place. And I think a lot of your listeners can kind of, you know, get a hold of that. They're just like, man, I feel a little bit out of place in the office. Though. What is that? It's It's being an entrepreneur. So I think that's uh, what it is, but I didn't grow up like that. So it took me a really long time to to figure that out and what that feeling was because I grew up in a blue collar family where, you know, it was just like, you know, put your head down, work hard and get the best job that you can. But during that time, while I was working at a big firm, I started investing in real estate and a lot of the same stuff that you did when we first started out investing in fix and flips and, you know, single family buying holds and wholesales and, you know, the whole gamut of, of residential real estate, tried a little bit of everything. And as you know, that's very difficult to do while you're working a full-time W-2 that's highly demanding of your hours and your time, your efforts. Um, also, while you have, you know, family and things like that going on too, it's just very difficult um, so that's when I started exploring into kind of passive syndications uh, and started investing in those and then worked my way into active syndications uh, now. But I think, you know, that's why I launched the the Passive Income Attorney podcast to kind of educate attorneys and other high income professionals that, you know, there there are alternatives to one, the stock market and things like that. And two, you know, alternatives to fix and flips and HGTV stuff that you see on TV, right? There there are some commercial investments that you can get involved in that aren't going to necessarily take all your time and effort away from your career. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, the important part to understand for regardless of which path you want to go is just what, what do you want out of life and what's the expectation you want, right? Being active has a great allure and, you know, everybody wants to say, oh, I'm an investor or whatever the case is, but there's a lot, kind of like you had mentioned, there's a lot of struggles that go along with it. There's a lot of time commitment. So really just deep down, people have to understand where they're, you know, where they're wanting to go and, you know, do they want to go more of the entrepreneurial route or are they comfortable and satisfied in, in their career, but wanting to find a way to kind of build outside of that, you know, and the chance that that something changes or, or whatever the case is. So I heard you before talk about there was kind of an instance from the law career that kind of changed, you know, how you started looking at things differently. I know you saw some some partners at the firm that had been there a while and you kind of yeah. alluded to it. So so what was kind of that awakening in that moment when you're kind of like, I'm not sure if this is kind of what I see myself doing for the next 30 or 40 years? Yeah. I mean, you know, you're just, you're in that big law firm office and you're seeing these older partners that are, you know, in their sixties or seventies and, you know, they're showing up to the office before I am. They're staying longer than me. And I'm supposed to be kind of like a a young associate and hungry and should be at the office at all hours and, you know, doing all this work, but I'm looking at them and they're like at the apex of their careers. I mean, they've, they've done it all. They're the partners, they're managing the firm. They're making tons of money but they're still working just as hard, if not harder than I was. And I started thinking like, if that's, that's the end game, like if that's as good, like if I do everything right and I'm very successful and I'm bringing business to the firm and I do quality work for decades and I end up like that, I don't know if that's where I want to end up. I mean, not that they're, they're not highly respected and really good at what they do, but it's like, for me, it's more about, you know, being free and spending time with the people you want to spend it with and being able to travel and do, you know, do the things that, that I value in my life um, that perhaps they, they may have missed out on. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of just back to the point of defining your, you know, your why and, you know, what your must-haves in your life and what, what you're really looking to accomplish and be a part of. So, so I know you talked about, you know, the attorney side, but I know that played a big role in the fact or of you kind of, you know, gravitating down to the path of a real estate investor. So what kind of law did you, or do you still practice? And, um, you know, how did that kind of influence where you decided to go from an investment perspective? Yeah, I kind of described that as my, my second aha moment. I mean, I'm a real estate attorney by trade. So I was exposed to these big commercial real estate deals, you know, from my first year out of law school uh, while practicing law. Um, At the time, though, you're just on one side of the table and you don't really think of yourself as being able to do those deals. You think that they're like these, you know, ridiculous, mega, mega, mega million billionaires or they're doing these huge, you know, $100 million deals. But really, they're just guys like you and me that, uh, you know, are able to pool capital together and put these deals together. Um, so that was kind of the the second aha moment was just seeing that regular people do these deals, um, seeing it from that perspective and just started kind of exploring, well, how can I kind of switch my position with their position? How can I go from attorney to investor? So that that kind of started the the curiosity and the change of mindset. Yeah, I mean that would be pretty exciting to see folks that you know weren't you know weren't Donald Trump or you know yeah. you know Hugh Hefner whoever it was you know kind of <laughs> Howard Hughes you know buying these crazy buildings and stuff and kind of seeing you know the back end and the schematics of and the architecture of how these these were actually being put together. So so what was so how were you able to begin the investment career? Like you said, you're working a very demanding job, you know, very demanding from an hours perspective, but then also you know just you're you're probably burnt. You know, a lot of days you come home, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're kind of mentally fatigued. So how did you balance being able to be a full time professional and starting to dabble in the investing side? 
Yeah, I mean, it wasn't very smooth. I'm not as good as it, or I wasn't as good at it as as you are, John. I <laughs> I was trying to do the fix and flips and and do these rehabs like on the residential level and all that stuff while working at these big firms. And you just, you really just can't do it. I mean, you can't do it. If they're local, long distance, it, it really doesn't matter. When you've got to build this many hours and it's such a, a highly demanding job on your mental capacity, I mean, you just, you, you don't have time to do it. Um, and it actually took away from my work and I was unceremoniously departed on the last job because, and, and that was, you know, for the, <laughs> and it was done for a good reason. It was also for the best for me because I was able to, okay, just walk away and just start my own firm. And now I still do practice real estate law, but only about, I'm bill about 10 hours a week. So any attorney will tell you like, that's absolutely nothing. <laughs> No, I think, I, I mean, I think that's, again, kind of, you know, the, one of the big themes of the show so far is just talking about having the time and being able to kind of dabble in both. And I think one of the points you just said there that is so important, especially because I think fix and flip is the most alluring, right? And it seems yeah. like, because we all see it so much on TV, it seems like it's fairly simple, right? You're just like, okay, right. you buy a house that's <laughs> under market value, you go, you know, throw some carpet, some paint, and then all of a sudden you make $100,000. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, both of us have the scars to prove that, that that that's not the case. But I think the point that you made was interesting was, you know, unless the house is literally across the street from where you live, you know, and you yeah. can kind of keep eyes on it every day, if it's 10 minutes down the road, I mean, you're, it's, it takes time to go visit, you've got to walk through, you got to have a contractor that you trust, which, you know, just unfortunately, yeah. you know, it's difficult to, to, <laughs> to keep a finger on them. And the ones that are good obviously stay extremely busy. So I just think that's an interesting point, especially for someone like yourself living in Southern California. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'll just, you know, sub some stuff out and, you know, check out Missouri or North Carolina or, you know, maybe some Midwestern markets. But I think that's such an important point that, you know, even if it's just a few miles down the road, that really, that doesn't make a huge difference if it's, if you're unable to actually go and visit and put eyes on the property and see the status of the project. Yeah. I mean, it definitely adds a layer. The, the more distance, the more difficult it is. I mean, people will tell you, you can do it from long distance, which you can, and I did and still do, but it definitely makes it harder. I mean, if you're flipping or buying property in your neighborhood, it's a lot different than doing it from 2000 miles away. And especially with the smaller properties, right? If you're doing a fix and flip a single family house, your level of contractor, your level of property manager is a lot lower than when you're buying a hundred unit multifamily property where it's just, you know, a lot higher grade, a lot higher, uh, a lot more professionalism with respect to the contractors, the vendors, the property managers. Um, so you can, you know, give them more on their plate and give them a little bit more uh, leeway to, to do their thing compared to, you know, the, the bottom of the line type of contractor guys that, that you're trying to manage from 2000 miles away. It's just really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, and I appreciate your transparency. I mean, you know, I think sometimes, yeah. you know, some of these negative instances that happen in our lives are actually the ones that push us into what our true calling and passion are. And so in regards to the fix and flip, I guess, hopefully you can be just as brutally honest on that side. So I guess anybody that's done flips has some pretty crazy and interesting stories. So is there one that sticks out in your head that you're just like, I can't believe this happened. And it just was kind of a wild experience? Um, you know, nothing crazy, really. I mean, we did a fix and flip in um, Cleveland, Ohio, which is a difficult market anyways. Um, it took about a year and a half to get that thing going, get that thing done. We had to switch contractors three times. So we had four contractors on the job. So you can imagine, you know, the time and the money that goes into doing that. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. But end of the day, though, we actually ended up making money on the property. And we still we still own it. We were able to finance, refinance all of our money back out, and we have it as a rental still. 
um, even after that ridiculous holding period and, and switching of contractors and all this stuff. Um, but you know, if you buy it right, then you can still make it work. But it, that's but the headaches are just you know for a year and a half you're just dealing with these massive headaches. And again, I was living in Southern California, so <laughs> trying to flip this thing or trying to rehab this thing in Cleveland, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, I haven't had the stones to kind of go to that extreme yet. I, I you know I can do a couple hours away that I can at least drive to and you know put some actual eyes on it. But you know I think that's the other thing that people have to realize is throughout these scenarios, regardless of how well you kind of plan it along, probably just like any good real estate transaction, right? There's always going to be some wrenches that are thrown in there, regardless how well you prepare kind of before the fact. So, so what's kind of the structure? I mean, so you said you're you you have your own firm, you're work you're billing about ten hours a week. So what is kind of the structure of your day? And how do you hold yourself accountable when you can kind of just, you know, go out there and practice surfing all day? Yeah, <laughs> well, I definitely don't do that enough. But, uh, I, you know, I think it just comes down to scheduling. You've got to, to plan out your day in advance. I, I use a, an app called Asana uh, to kind of plan out my day. And I use that for, uh, you know, man, like uh, organization and, and management of all my daily tasks and use it as a to-do list. And I think it just comes down to plan out your day. I mean, you can't just go into the day with, with not a list of things to do. And just be like, okay, well, as things come along, I'm going to do them because then they're never going to get, they're never going to get done, especially when you're an entrepreneur and you have, you know, different things going on. I mean, for myself, I've got the law firm and I've got residential real estate and I've got commercial real estate and I've got the gym. There's just a lot of stuff that you need to focus on. And unless you write it down and prioritize, you're not going to get it done. So I, you know, you've got to start out the day strong too. I mean, have a morning routine. Um, I get up and I do 50 push-ups, which is weird, but I do 50 push-ups just to wake up because I try to get up at like, you know, no later than about five o'clock in the morning. Um, wake yourself up, get some coffee, take the dogs out, do that kind of stuff, meditate, and then dive into the hardest thing you have to do for the day for those first couple of hours. Yeah, I might steal that push-ups thing from you. I think that's like my hardest part. So my mine is um, the more part of my morning routine that I'm struggling with the most is chugging the water, right? They say, you know, you just yeah. as soon as you get up, you should just chug like 16 ounces of water. And so yeah. like it's always sitting next to my bedside table or on my bedside <laughs> table. And I like just stare at it. I'm like, oh, you know, I'll drink a little bit or whatever, but um, maybe I need to just crank out some push-ups real quick. Uh, yeah, wake get, up. Get I do that as on. well, man. You got to do that gallon of water a day. I mean, long ways and just hydrating your body and making you feel good about yourself. It's, it's really important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, the morning routine in general is just so important. I think that's, that's the big one. Anybody that hasn't read it, go check out the miracle morning, not saying you have to oh, do yeah. the savers and exactly as Hal does it. And I don't know a plug for his movie too. I don't know if you've seen it. It is pretty cool. Uh -huh. um, the miracle morning movie came out. Um, you got to pay to rent it or whatever on Amazon or whatever, but it, it was really good. So it was pretty cool. Just, just an incredible story. And just, he's, you know, survived the car crash. He's had cancer. Just, I mean, just a very impressive guy. So, um, That's cool. I have to check that so out. I know the real have you seen his, his other book, Miracle Equation? I read that one pretty recently. It's a pretty cool book. No, I have not. I'm gonna have to, I'll check that out. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah it boils down to one sentence, man. It's, uh, unwavering faith plus extraordinary effort equals miracles. And it's almost like a mantra that you can say to yourself when things get tough. It's like, okay, well, I just got to keep going. Extraordinary effort, unwavering faith, and it's going to work out. I love that. I love that. You're getting me pumped right now on yeah. unwavering faith, right? I got faith that I'm not going to totally tank this interview. So, <laughs> um, so I know that real estate isn't the only investments that you've done. So I think, you know, I, real estate is kind of the one that I think for most people comes top of mind, first of all, you know, cause it's pseudo passive. I mean, you know, obviously depending on how involved you are in, in, in the scenario, but I know you got involved in a, in a fitness studio franchise as well. So could you kind of tell us a little bit about how you got involved in that and, and what that's kind of like being an owner of that? 
Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, I was always investing in real estate and I was a real estate attorney. So everything was just kind of real estate, real estate, real estate. And I just started thinking, you know, just reasonably, I need to diversify a little bit, like out of real estate into something else. I started looking at other businesses. I'm an entrepreneur. So I was looking at like laundromats and liquor stores. Those are just the first two things that came into my mind when I thought about like recession resistant. Um, and I looked into those and my wife knew that I was looking at, at different businesses and she was like, well, why don't you check out Burn Bootcamp? I'm like, what is Burn Bootcamp? And it happens to be the gym that she worked out at. It's a women focused gym. Um, and they have a great business model. It's huge in the Southeast, huge in, in the Carolinas. Uh, but I, at the time I was actually in Southern California, I just moved back for the second time and no one really had a gym out there for burn bootcamp. So I called them up. They're a really good salesman. I got talked into it pretty quick and, you know, boom, all of a sudden I'm, I'm a gym owner, which is awesome because that goes hand in hand with, you know, my attitude. I love to work out every day. Um, and it's, it's very rewarding. My wife actually quit her W2 to run the gym, run the operations. So I don't have to do the day-to-day stuff. I just do all the stuff that she doesn't want to do. So we're a pretty good team in that regard. No, that's outstanding. And I think kind of, again, back to just aligning your priorities and things. I mean, it probably makes it a lot better to want to invest in a business and kind of, you know, try to, you know, continue to succeed in a business when it's something you're passionate about, you know, like obviously real estate's been a part of you throughout your entire career and something, you know, you like to do for fun or torture, whatever, whatever you want to call it (laughs) at times. Um, But then also the, the, uh, you know, the, the fitness side of it as well. So, so what has it been like, obviously a bootcamp, I know you guys have the studio space, but you know, obviously bootcamp sometimes is a little bit more flexible as far as the workouts you can do versus, you know, just kind of either a I know CrossFit, you can get out a little bit, but you know, you're a little bit more tied to the platforms and stuff you're doing in a normal gym. Obviously it's been very challenging just due to the circumstances yeah. right now. So how, how is a boot camp type gym weathered throughout this COVID world that we're in right now? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't speak for others. I mean, I've kept an eye obviously in our competitors, but for us, you know, we opened two weeks, we had a grand opening two weeks before COVID hit in 20. Yeah. So it was ridiculous. Like we were open for two weeks, had the grand opening, had a lot of members coming in. We we're like super excited. We'd finally launched the gym. And then two weeks later, boom, we've got to close down. Like that, that was when the 14 day quarantine started. Um, <laughs> we're still so in then, it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It turned it out to be a little, bit, later. <laughs> yeah, a little bit longer, but yeah. So we had to close down. Um, so we had to pivot to virtual workouts. We started for the members that we did happen to have at that point, which weren't that many. Um, we started doing virtual workouts. So I was working out with my wife and our head trainer, literally in our living room, doing virtual workouts on Zoom, which was hilarious. I ended up being like, you know, the background dancer, back background workout person for like a Richard Simmons video, not knowing what I'm doing. That was me. You have the um, outfit on too? Do you have the Richard outfit on? <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, like I hadn't done those types of workouts either. Like I was just kind of a regular, you know, dude going to the gym and lifting heavy weights or whatever. And so those burn bootcamp workouts were different. So it was super awkward. And I was on video. Anyways, we did all that. And then, you know, California was probably and is still the toughest state for businesses right now. So we had to move and we still are moving in and out and in and out and adjusting our workouts. And, you know, you know, we've got six by six boxes. You've got to stay in. We're not sharing equipment, uh, you know, wearing masks, like all that kind of stuff. So we've just had to stay really flexible. I think that's kind of the, the overarching theme is just staying flexible. Um, one big thing that we did was we built an outdoor facility. So we were supposed to be just all indoor. We actually, our landlord has been very good with us and allowed us to take over the back parking lot. We built a 40 by 40 tent structure with blue AstroTurf, which is 
burn blue and a lot. So when we were, had to work out outside, we, we could work out outside and it was nice. We weren't working out in a parking lot. We were working out on AstroTurf with a tent and shade. And, you know, we, we actually were able to grow our membership from zero to we're up to 260 some members right now and in the black during COVID. So pretty wild. Wow, man. That, that's awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's a great story. And I, I, I knew, yeah. I didn't know that you had opened it so close to, to COVID hitting and stuff, but I just think that was the question I was going to ask is what, you know, what have you learned kind of in this new world, you know, that you may apply to the gym business moving forward, but I guess, you know, maybe that's it is just make sure you've got that flexible out indoor outdoor space, but is there anything outside of that, that you learned that kind of, you know, maybe you'll apply to the gym business moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I think it's just staying flexible, man. I think you've got net, you can apply that to, to any business. I mean, I think uh, to be successful with anything, you need to get comfortable with being uncertain and get comfortable with being, you know, being able to pivot and change and, and do what you've got to do to, to survive and thrive. Yeah. That unwavering faith, right? That unwavering yeah. faith, you just got to, got to believe. And I mean, man, that's awesome. I mean, to, to be able to do that through COVID and stuff, I mean, that's just, that's got to feel like a pretty good accomplishment. So so I know you said she kind of delegates the stuff she doesn't like, but well, what is it like working with a spouse? I mean, you know, it sounds like, you know, you guys are delineated a little bit, but what is it like running a business with your spouse? Yeah. I mean, you've got to, you've got to separate business with, with the relationship to a certain extent. I mean, you can't do it completely. A lot of people I think do it better than we have, but you know, you, you've got to be, you got to be able to have a, an open business conversation with your significant other, if you're going to go into business with them and, and know that it's not like a, a personal attack. I think sometimes you feel like if you're talking about business, it might come across in a, in a, in a weird manner because you're talking about business and you're talking to your wife or your husband. Um, but, but it just need, you just both need to have the right mindset going into it that, you know, this isn't really a personal thing. This is like us trying to succeed in business. So you need to be able to separate it to a certain extent. Um, but it's been very rewarding, very cool. Like she has, she gets up very early in the morning. I said, I get up at five, but she gets up at like four because the gym opened the first camp is at 5am. So she's got to be there super early. So initially I changed my schedule to get up earlier. So I, I didn't used to get up at 5am. So that's been a positive thing for me because I have more hours in the day now. <laughs> Yeah. What, so what time? I mean, so that's early. So I, well, my struggle always, cause I've always been a morning person, just, I guess, you know, whatever physiologically I've just been that way. So what time do you guys go to bed? I think that's always a show, struggle for me. Cause I feel like I'm a, you know, like in the elderly camp by the time I'm going yeah. to bed, you know, it's like eight 45 and I'm like, I'm really ready to head in for the night. But so what time do you guys hit, hit, hit the hay in the evenings? Yeah. We try to get to bed by like nine o'clock, like nine ish, something like that. I mean, I may end up having to do a little bit of work later or something, whatever. I usually feel kind of more creative at night. So if I have to get something done, I'll get it done. Um, but I make sure to get, at least I do, because I'm not working off of a, a strict schedule like she is. I make sure that I get my seven hours of sleep because I think sleep is probably the most important thing you can do for yourself. Um, so if I happen to get to bed at, at midnight for some reason, I won't set my alarm until seven o'clock. I'll literally set my alarm that night for whatever seven hours ahead is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the beauty of being able to to call your shots, right. As far as your yeah. schedule and everything kind of can be flexible if you have a pressing project and you're not, you know, dead tired the next day or whatever the case is. So, all right. So you're working, you know, so you've got your law firm, you've got the fitness boot camp with your wife, you're doing fix and flips, you're doing rentals, you're doing all sorts of stuff. And now you've pivoted into scaling a syndication business, you know, with purchasing large scale assets, you know, primarily in the Southeast, but, you know, kind of wherever opportunity knocks. So, yeah. you know, what, what made you kind of start delving into that path and, and looking at scale and these larger opportunities? 
Yeah. I mean, again, I think it went back to seeing those folks that are just kind of everyday guys like you and me doing deals. And I'm like, you know, if they can do it, I can do it because I, I'm advising them, right? I'm showing them like how to, how to navigate these deals. And they're the ones that are ended up, you know, I'll get my pay or whatever my salary, but at the end of the day, they're making tons of money on these things. So I started exploring, you know, how to get involved in those sorts of things. And I think that's when I started coming across uh, syndications, which a lot of people, you know, if you're not in this world, you don't know what a syndication is. Sometimes I'll just drop that word and people have no idea what that even means. So you start learning about syndications and I started investing passively. And then you start trying to figure out how you can add value to existing teams and, and start taking down properties yourself on the active side. So that's what I did. Um, and that's what I continue to do right now. I kind of serve as what I call inside counsel for on deals where, you know, I am a real estate attorney, but I don't necessarily want to be the real estate attorney on that deal. And I don't want to be the SEC attorney on that deal. But what I'll do is kind of oversee what those attorneys are doing. I'll double check everything. It's a second set of legal eyes on all the contracts, all the negotiations and things like that. And obviously bring capital and investor relations and, and, and other aspects of the deal to, um, to, to each property. Yeah, no, you bring up a good point. I mean, you know, majority of folks know what syndication is, but hey, what's your what's your legalese uh, description of, you know, for people, the the simple description of what a syndication is for investing in, I guess, you know, we we primarily think real estate, obviously, you can do it in other avenues, but for what's kind of your synopsis of a syndication within real estate? Yeah, I mean, the simplest thing is just pooling of capital together to take down a big deal. That's the way that I say it. To try to say it in layman's terms and simple, it's like let's get a let's get a group of people together. Some are going to be active. Some are just going to put some capital in, and we're going to take down a big deal together. And to me, that's that's kind of the simplest breakdown of a of a syndication. Yeah, that's perfect. So you started the podcast, Passive Income Attorney, right? And so, like you said, the core audience is folks that have you know high income earners or folks in the you know kind of the modalities, be it medicine, legal, you know, whatever the case is, entrepreneurs, who whatever they are, obviously they're very tied to that career, that profession. So I'm kind of curious when you talk to these investors, what's kind of the the thought process and the methodology about, you know, trying to understand their goals and their aspirations? Because I think what I've seen in the in the industry is a lot of people are telling more than listening. So I guess I'm just kind of curious your take on when you start having these conversations with somebody that in society's eyes or in probably in their own eyes is, is extremely successful. So how do you really convince them or not convince them, but kind of help coach and enrich them to say, hey, this is an opportunity that could eventually make you better off in the future? Yeah. I mean, most of the people that I talk to, the investors that I bring in, they're already interested in investing in real estate, but they might not necessarily be interested in, or they don't know yet that they're you know, want to invest in syndications. Maybe they're thinking about just buying a, a single family or a one to four unit or doing a fix and flip. And then, you know, they come across the podcast or they come across somebody else's, you know, podcast or information. They say, you know, they start asking questions. I mean, it, it's kind of a big gap. I mean, trying to educate someone from that just watches HGTV knows that they want to diversify into real estate um, out of the stock market. They, they know that, but they don't know anything else. I mean, there's, there's definitely an educational gap there. So you, you've got to have the phone calls. You've got to encourage them to listen to my, I'll listen to my podcast or send them to other people's podcasts or send them you know, certain books or, or links to articles and blog posts um, that they might be able to self-educate it a little bit because I won't be able to do it in a 30-minute you know, phone call. Um, and then they can come back, have the phone call, we'll answer any questions. And then when a deal comes, I'll kind of walk them through the offering memorandum. And I think that overall, it just takes a little bit of time to get comfortable. I mean, if you're going to invest you know, $25,000, dollars $75,000 or more in these deals, 
you've got to get comfortable with it. I mean, it's not like buying, you know, one, one share of Tesla stock or something for a few hundred bucks. You're, you're, you're wiring $50,000 to somebody that you don't really even know. So you're holding your breath. So you've got to get comfortable with it, with it. I think seeing multiple deals and just realize over time, I think they realize the same thing happens over and over again. And then they're like, okay, I'm ready to pull the trigger. Yeah, no, I think that's a great, great outline. And I think that that's, you know, like you talked about, I mean, it is different because you're wiring it and it's like one transaction and you really don't have as an LP or a limited partner, the investor side, you know, if you're not on the active side, you really have no control over if it succeeds or fails, right? So you're putting a lot of faith and a lot of trust in other people. Another point that you made that I think is outstanding is how much onus is on the investor themselves to educate themselves, right? I mean, there's just so much information out there. There's so many good books. There's so many good podcasts now. I mean, my, my personal favorite is Brian Burke's book, The Hands-Off Investor. I think that yeah, one's tremendous. Really I mean, that's a really great one. It's uh, almost like a textbook. I feel like it's just so it's very, it's very detailed. It's hard to get through, but man, if, if you want to learn it, that's that's the book for sure. And it's great reference. That's what I, I read through, but now I have it just as a reference to be like, okay, you know, like, hey, well, rent growth, is that is that really a f- realistic assumption? And, you know, we all know at the end of the day, you know, all the assumptions we make are probably going to get thrown out the window anyways, right? You know, with, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nobody assumed COVID was going to hit. So, you know, it's all going to be craziness anyway. But um, so obviously now you're building this. What's been one of the things from your background as a lawyer that you've been able to apply to actually starting to build this this business, Law Capital Partners and, and the real estate investment side? You know, I think it's just being in the same shoes as a lot of the investors that I talk to are currently in. And that's, you know, being in that, you know, high paying career, but it's super demanding. Maybe you're getting caught up with the golden handcuffs, so we call it, because you keep making more money, but you keep spending more money. You know, I was there. So I think just coming from that, the, the same footsteps as they did, that's big because I can relate to them and be like, okay, why well, I, I was there and I did all these other things. I did the fix and flips. I did the buy and holds. I did the wholesales. But if you like your career enough and you like the money that you're getting right now and you want to continue it, then passive investing is a great way to at least get started, maybe get your feet wet. And then if you decide that you like it that much, then you can maybe cross over to the active side. Yeah, absolutely. And so one thing about kind of just your background and and having these different streams of income, which I love, you know, the income diversification, I think is so powerful and important just because like you said, I mean, you opened a gym two weeks before pandemic hit, you know, and then everything shut down. Right. I mean, if you didn't, it would be even more stressful if that was your sole source of income, um, you know, that, that you would put into it. So I think with, when you look at different professions, especially be it medical or, you know, assuming you don't have your own practice, but I mean, you know, if you're an ER doctor or, you know, if you're kind of a, um, you know, if you're a nurse or if you're an attorney, what's kind of your recommendation for folks that are looking to kind of maybe scale back so that they can invest more on the entrepreneurship side from a time perspective? How do you kind of balance that? Hey, I'm only, com- you know, I'm only going to build 10 hours a week, or I'm only going to work three or four shifts a week or whatever the case is. So they're not just 60 hours a week in the career and then trying to do some entrepreneurial stuff when they're already pretty drained. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to maybe passive investing first. I mean, you know, if you, you can kind of, I always just say you you start buying back your time piece by piece with these passive syndications. I mean, you, you know, you invest 50,000 in one and maybe you're going to get a $400 check uh, that's going to even out to like a $400 check every quarter or every month or whatever. Well, that's your car payment. And you start buying back your time that way and start paying for your expenses. And then eventually it's going to lead up to, you know, you'll be able to pay for all everything that you that you need to be comfortable with. So I think it just comes with, you know, creating multiple streams of income, whether that's passive syndications or whether that's investing in Bitcoin or, you know, whatever it is, just find something 
to, to get good at, educate yourself and diversify as much as possible. Because I, I highly recommend not one, just investing in real, or sorry, just investing in stocks and bonds. And two, not just, in, not just relying on your one single active income. Cause that's what a lot of people do. They, they just, they're, they have the one stream of income and then they invest in their 401k and they think they're good to go. And that can fall apart very quickly. Uh, no, I think that's a great point. I mean, again, I'm a huge proponent of the income diversification. And also another point is things change through life, right? You know, relationships change, desires change. You know, if you want to have that locational freedom, I mean, you know, that's the cool thing about what you do is, you know, you can go take a trip and be working five or four or five hours a day, you know, from Mexico or from, you know, Europe or wherever you want to go, you know, kind of check out and see some, some cool locations within the world. So, well, so I'm kind of curious, I know you just launched your podcast not too recently, like I did as well. So what was the process like? And, and what do you, what recommendations do you have for folks out there that are thinking of, hey, you know, I've always kind of thought this would be interesting, but actually finally taking the leap to, to do it yourself? Yeah, it, it was a whirlwind, man. I mean, trying, to, I wanted to get a bunch of episodes locked and loaded and ready to go and launch a bunch on the first day and launch a bunch in the first month, even though I'm only going to release one uh, and on a regular cadence once a week. Uh, so to get, you know, basically 30 episodes recorded when you have no idea what you're doing and, you know, you don't, I don't know, you're, you're just kind of just doing what you feel like you're just going on instinct, right? Like you have no idea episodes with people I don't know and trying to put together like all the emails and the automations and the funnels and the lead magnets and all the stuff that you don't really think about. Uh, before you, you know, when you think that you're going to launch a podcast. So it's, it's just a whirlwind. So I think getting organized up front and planning the launch is really important, um, but it's worth it. I mean, the benefits are, you know, they are tangible benefits through the people that you meet, through the investors and the network that you create for yourself. Um, and then honestly, you become a better speaker as well. I mean, I am a terrible speaker, but you end up getting better because even if it's just a podcast, you end up getting better as a public speaker and being able to speak in front of people and just getting comfortable with, you know, being in your own skin. I think that's such a powerful point. That's something that I've never really had exposure to. You know, I'm in, I'm in sales from a career perspective. And so, you know, I'm not speaking at conferences yeah. or speaking to large groups of people, obviously small, you know, customer bases and presentations here and there, but obviously that's something we kind of know, you know, it's not just some long form 60 minute or 45 minute conversation. So I think that's such an important point for people to look at. And like you said, you're just not going to know a lot of the stuff and it's going to be a whirlwind. It's not going to go exactly to planned and you're going to make a lot of mistakes, but the, for me, the biggest thing has just been the networking aspect and being able mm-hmm. to hear other people's stories and connect with people. And I don't know if there's anything that's more you know empowering than somebody's like, hey, I listened to your podcast and like I just thought that was so cool or hey, I took so much out of it. And I'm not saying that like, you know, it's changing their lives or anything, but it's just cool to know that like, hey, something you put out there, you know, it's not just a Facebook post or it's not just an Instagram post or a picture, you know, like kind of a clickbait type type yeah. uh, post or anything, you know, it's <laughs> like, I mean, and I think that's one I've what I've learned is that people say, you know, that the podcast is just one of the most intimate ways to connect with an audience is because they're listening to you talk for 30 yeah. or 45 minutes. So I, I, it's tremendous. And and I mean, I'd recommend everybody to check out your show. I really, I really like it. You've got a very diverse array of, of guests. And so, you know, from an educational perspective, people can definitely learn, learn a bunch by jumping in there. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. So like those texts, right. When you get them every once in a while and say, Hey, I listened to episode, you know, 16 with such and such. I thought that was really good. I mean, that's really meaningful. Like you're like, yeah, somebody's actually listening to this thing. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. One That's person my... out there that's listening. This is great. Not just my mom. Yeah. Not just my mom hitting the download button. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
absolutely. Absolutely. All right, man. Well, let's uh, let's wrap up with the contrarian three pack. So I know we've, like you said, I mean, you mentioned Bitcoin. So, you know, I'm definitely interested to hear what the answer to this one is. But what would you say would be kind of the most contrarian investment you think you've made in your investing career? I would say Bitcoin. And I bought, I bought a few Bitcoins when they were $600. Um, I bought three of them. Unfortunately, I sold two of them when they were like, I think 10 or $12,000 a couple of years ago. Um, so I, I thought I was like, okay, I'm going to cash out. Cause I don't know what, you know, at the time you're just like, this is pure speculation. So I'm just going to cash out and bought them for 600 bucks. Not a bad return. Held on to one. So I've still got one and like some change. So I'll probably hold on to that one until I, until it's worth like a million bucks. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, well, two, two things. I mean, one, you know, I think it does pay sometimes to take more of those speculative bets. I was a little bit late to the game. So I bought in a couple thousand dollars when it was on the run-up in twenty eight seven late 2017, 2018, okay. right before it crashed. So, I um, mean, you know, I've got a couple different coins, but but I've got a little bit of Bitcoin. But I think one of the points you made was, you know, it doesn't have to be a zero-sum game or all or nothing, right? You know, hey, just yeah. you've had it, you bought it for 600, you got, you exited north of 10,000. Nobody's going to argue that that was a not was not a sound you know economic decision, but the fact that you held on to one, obviously now that's multiplied even more. So I mean I don't even want to calculate. I'll just be too jealous of <laughs> what that return to six hundred to fifty thousand is. But, uh, yeah. but that's pretty exciting and impressive. So yeah, I'm with you. I think I think there's a lot of runway with it. I just think for me, the the concern is you know what's the volatility going to be, right? You know, and buying it at 50 and then having it fall back down to 20, you know, for a little bit or whatever the case is, there's, there's just so much volatility with it, but uh, no, that's, that's outstanding. And so outside of work, I know we talked about a lot about the investing the businesses you guys, you and your wife do, but outside of work, what's, what's, what's some of your favorite activities for, for you and your family to do together? Yeah, it's traveling, man. I just love to travel. I mean, that was part of the thing. When you're working in big law firms, you, you might get your two weeks, but you're probably not. You're never going to be able to unplug even when you are away. So that's that's the big thing for me. I mean, my wife and I just went to Cabo for a four-day weekend. That was the first time we were able to get away since COVID started. So that was that was awesome because we, we make sure to take at least one big trip. I mean, that's not a, a big trip for us, but like a big trip is in like a month-long trip. Um, we, we have a we have a trip planned for Tahiti and unfortunately that got canceled, but we're going to plan it for later in the year. <laughs> oh man. I, I've heard, I've heard so many good things. That's going to be an amazing trip. What's uh, is there one kind of, that stands out that you've done so far that was, you're just kind of like, Hey man, this is amazing. If I, you know, anybody that I would out there in the audience highly recommend visiting as well. Yeah, we, we rented a yacht in Greece, which was awesome. So we did Island hopping in Greece. That was pretty incredible. Um, I didn't realize that I was able to get seasick, but I did, uh, even though I'd never been seasick in my life, but it, it happens, especially when you're having a few, uh, few libations <laughs> on the boat. <laughs> That's awesome. And I mean, so is that kind of, were you kind of like on the Mediterranean? And so you're just looking at all those kind of seascapes and towns that were kind of carved into the mountains and stuff there, the hillside? Yeah, exactly. We stopped at a few different like small islands that you'd probably, if you planned a trip to Greece, you'd never go to. They were literally like no motorized vehicles. They were just like donkeys and that was it. I mean, it was, it was awesome. That's so cool. And I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Greek food too. So I mean, yeah. show, you know, a little bit of olive oil, a little bit of pita, maybe some lamb yeah. gyro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then a massive piece of cheese right on top of the salad. It's like that. Oh my God. Oh man. <laughs> but All other right. than that, well, it's pretty not, healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to check that out. That's awesome. Um, and then what does offer you the most fulfillment in life? Most fulfillment. Um, you know, anytime I can give advice to students or younger folks that are thinking about, you know, maybe they're thinking about becoming an attorney and going to law school or going to med school, going to graduate school in general, 
I find it very rewarding to have an honest conversation with them to make sure that not to discourage them in any way, but at least to have them think about, you know, whether or not the debt and their passion lies there. I mean, the debt is worth it and their passion lies in that because if it doesn't, you need to really, you know, think about it because you are going to incur some debt. You are going to incur some, some time that you're going to give up by being in school that long. And if, it, if you graduate and then you realize that for a couple of years, that's not for you, wasn't worth it. So you need to figure that out and at least give it some thought now before it's too late. Cause I've, I've done it. <laughs> I've been there. I've been to all the schools. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, I love the fact that you're so intentional about that too, though. Right. And you've, I mean, obviously it, it hasn't been a, a smooth process throughout, but just kind of starting with the end in mind and kind of, you know, when you kind of had that epiphany, when you saw some of the older partners in the firm saying like, you know, do I really want to be working 60, 70 hours a week when I'm, you know, kind of, I've got grandchildren and, you know, I'm kind of, you know, later on in life, or do I want to, you know, have a little bit more flexibility and freedom of time or what, what do I really want? Right. And maybe that's what you want. Right. But I think that's just such a powerful point for the audience to take on is just really understand, you know, do your actions align with what your long-term goals are? Of course, there's going to be some short-term pain and uh, make sure to use that uh, unwavering faith, right. To get yep. where you want to go. Yeah, absolutely. Man. Nice. Nice. All right, man. Well, so we talked about the podcast, Passive Income Attorney. So everybody's got to go check that out. Subscribe, leave a, leave a review, Apple Podcasts. What else? What else? What's, what other ways can folks get, get in touch with you? You can find me on all social media platforms. So the handle is always slash Seth Paul Bradley. Um, and I also have a really cool lead magnet. It's called the Cashflow Calculator. It's 100% free. It's it's really good for past investors because they can plug in all their past investments and what they plan on investing in the next few years. And it'll calculate you know what your overall returns can look like so you can see how quickly you can start buying back your time. Absolutely. And kind of back to that intentionality, right? It's nice to see an actual number figure so you can yeah. say, hey, that's what I need to get to or that's what I have to have invested to make sure that uh, I can get there. And I didn't tell you where to go. Go to intelligentpassiveinvestor.com for that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, everybody's going to check that out. So, all right, Seth. Well, thanks so much, man. This has been a really fun conversation. Looking forward to seeing what you guys get working next. Yeah, John. Really appreciate it, man. Thanks. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, Live fulfilled.